Hey Oasis family, so good to see you. I hope you're grateful for Pastors Colton and Jessica Talley. They are amazing. We are so uh, blessed to have them as our online campus pastors. The things that they navigate and the faith that they have and the encouragement that they are to Christine and I and the rest of our team is unbelievable. As they were hosting and praying, I was just thinking to myself, I am so grateful for them. I hope you are grateful for them too. Show some love in the chat for Pastors Colton and Jessica. Tell Pastor Jessica you're praying for her and everything she's navigating, and I'm sure that it would encourage them. And I'm excited about the message I'm going to preach today. Um, I had this in my heart for a while, and then I kind of went away from it and started talking about other things I felt like the Lord was showing me. But I believe these uh, past few messages in particular are really going to set us apart. The main thing God wants to do with believers is set them apart. I really feel this thing, this sanctification, this set apart, this holiness, where people should tell the difference between us and other people. If you scroll through the Instagram of a Christian and scroll through the Instagram of somebody who wasn't a Christian and you can't tell the difference, that is not okay. And I don't mean that you got to wear turtlenecks and like and <laughs> stockings and you have to cover everything that isn't your eyes. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like just be yourself, right? But like if yourself is angry, don't be that. If your yourself is complaining, don't be that. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit has to be doing something different in your life, and it should, we should be able to tell. Yeah. Like, right. I, I think so many times we say, like, we want to share our faith, and I get that, but people should be able to tell. When you share your faith and you talk about Jesus, people shouldn't be going, really? You're a Christian? They should go, oh, that's why you're so kind. Oh, that's why you, you, you're slow to, to speak and quick to listen. Oh, that's why you are the way that you are. That makes sense. Uh, people should... Uh, hear that you're a Christian. People should hear that you are of the faith and go, that makes sense. And so this is why we're doing the messages that we are. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody, but I think there should be a difference. And and God is saying, when I can tell the difference, I'm getting ready to do some different things for you um, because I can tell the difference in you. I'm going to do some things different for you. That is already getting to prop. Oh, my. Already, don't make me pass out in the spirit. I lay down on the floor for 10 minutes, and y'all gonna have to wait for me to get up because I'm soaking in the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna uh, preach a message today, and, and it's simply titled, Come Back to the Father. Come Back to the Father. I got this message because uh, people are leaving the church uh, by the thousands. Um, the, you know, every pastor I've talked to, uh, church attendance is down 70% in some churches. Churches is down 50%. I mean, if your church is down 30 or 40%, I mean, you're, you're doing good. I mean, back before the pandemic started, I mean, it, even our church was up, you know, four or 500 people. I mean, it, we were thinking about having to add another campus because every service was packed out. 9 a.m. started to get in the balcony. And um, I started hearing uh, this, this thing of coming back to church. And I really felt this thing in my heart. Why are people not coming back to church? Um, I think it's important that when you come to church, you experience something that it's impossible to leave. Um, and that is God the Father, Jesus the Son. You, you, you really experience that you cannot leave. You can experience a great uh, service and all of that, and you can eat 18 donuts off the donut walk if you're the greedy person that came to church, or you can see the people twirling the signs around saying, welcome to church. But until you have actually encountered the Father through faith in Jesus, um, it's easy to walk away from it. And 
um, I really believe that you have to come back to the Father before you can come back to the church. And, and I was reminded of this story where Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, uh, and it was one of the biggest uh, festivals, religious gatherings you could possibly attend. I mean, every person who would consider themselves a part of Israel at all would flock to Jerusalem for this festival. And there would have been maybe uh, hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jerusalem, if not millions. No one knows the exact number. But in all the hustle and bustle of, of this f- religious organization, the story goes that they lost Jesus. And they were uh, three days headed back home uh, to Bethlehem before, uh, or Nazareth before they realized Jesus was gone. And it just made me think, what if on all the hustle and bustle of doing church every single Sunday and coming to church every single Sunday and going tr- and try to you know, figure out how to go to the big gathering and raise your family and go to work, what if in the middle of that we didn't realize Jesus was gone, wow. that, that he was lost in all of it? Yeah. And I think that people are trying to figure out, I think I may have lost Jesus even in going to growth track or going to church. I don't know if my relationship, I don't know if I died, am I going to heaven? And I think that God is giving us the space to really talk about some things that I really believe are going to make our relationship with God um, healthy. I know this happened to me. Um, my relationship with Jesus since I've been the lead, a lead pastor has been the worst. I never thought that this uh, mission of leading people to Christ would be so at odds with my personal relationship with God. When I first came to the Lord, you couldn't get me out of God's word. You couldn't get me out of prayer. Miracles would happen. And it's, I was living by faith. And I was talking to this one theologian recently, and it was almost as if once I got these things in my life, living by faith, it's almost as if I shaped my life to never have to live by faith again. So that clarity was my God. And uncertainty was everything that I lived in before. And so if something was unclear, I didn't live by faith. I tried my best to make it clear. And then you hit this wall in your relationship with God because our relationship with God is by faith. And myself, I'm supposed to be the pastor, had to have this season where I had to come back to the Father. And one of the things that I did in this five weeks of not preaching was I really felt like I came back to the Father. And now church is so much more exciting for me than it was prior before. I just had this energy and this life. And so I believe that as people come back to the Father, they have no choice but to come back to the church because the Father loves the church. And so here we are in this story that you may have heard a million times. It's probably the most popular parable, but it is the story of the prodigal son. Now, um, if you're like me and you are uh, have a bit of a creative side, you really don't like to preach uh, well-known passages because what could you say new um, uh, about the prodigal son? If you have been in church more than six months, you've probably heard of the prodigal son. Matter of fact, you don't even have to go to church and you've heard of the prodigal son. And so what new exciting fire revelation can I come up with Uh, from the prodigal son. And God was saying, no, this is the passage I want you to preach. The Holy Spirit will both tell you new things and remind you of things that you forgot. And so I believe that some of you are going to hear this for the first time. We have a lot of people new to our community, and some people are going to be reminded of the powerful truths that God would have us know from this passage of Scripture. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. We might bounce around a little bit. But before I read that, I want to give you a little bit of backstory while Jesus even told this parable. And it comes from Luke 15, verses 1 through 2. And the Bible says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners... 
uh, notorious sinners. Like they didn't even have a name. They were known by their sin, notoriety for how they sin. It's different like when you sin behind closed doors and nobody knows what you do. Nobody knows that bad habit. Jesus wasn't hanging out with people who had flaws. Jesus was not just hanging out with people where no one's perfect. He wasn't hanging out with really awesome Christians that had a few skeletons in their closet. Jesus was hanging out with sinners who were known by their sin. They sin so much that their sin got them notoriety. That's what that means. That means that Jesus was hanging out with somebody that would shock you. I think when Jesus showed up, I uh, can't prove it. I can't, I, but I believe that when Jesus showed up, this was God in the flesh. Remember, he was fully God and fully man. And they were expecting and awaiting the Savior. And when Jesus showed up, one of the reasons they had an issue with Jesus being the Savior is that he was hanging out with them, not them. So I believe if Jesus came back today, you might want to deny that he's actually Jesus because you think he would hang out with you. Think about this. If Jesus comes back, isn't he going to come to me? I'm a man of God. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm a man of wisdom. I've served him. Why is he over there in the club? There is no way the savior of the church would go straight to the club. Remember, when he showed up, he was at a wedding reclining in a chair. His first miracle was turning water into wine. Theologians have argued for thousands of years that because grapes represent provision, that's why he chose that miracle. I think Jesus was like, I normally don't do this. But keep the party going. Let's go on and just sip on some Merlot and some Pinot Noir because I'm God and I like to see people happy. This shocked people, the things that Jesus would do and the people that he would hang out with. And so tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Now, by the way, if you're a Christian and you have certain views on the government um, and, 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 and the way that the government would help, and if the pastor closed their church, then they're not really following with God. A tax collector would have been someone who was partnering currently with the corrupt government at the expense of the church, meaning they were collecting taxes from Israel on behalf of Rome, and they would keep some of the taxes for themselves. It would be like Jesus coming out with, and hanging out with someone who stole the offerings, and he's chilling with them and eating with them. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so then now Jesus begins to tell the story because they're frustrated with who he's hanging out with. And it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told the father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. You know, there was rules set up about how fathers could give sons certain things. There was rules set up. So here is what's profound about this. The younger son is acting, asking for money. The older son would actually get more 
uh, money than the younger son. So to give you an example, in Deuteronomy, it says it lays out rules for inheritance. And if you're the firstborn son, you get two thirds of your father's inheritance and the younger son gets a third. So the older son would actually get more money. So you would think it would be the older son who couldn't wait for his inheritance because the older son's money, the firstborn is actually bigger than the younger son. But the younger son actually asked for his money first. Even though he was entitled to the least, he asked for the most. Isn't this interesting about this dynamic with the younger son? So what's even crazier is the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So if you know anything about this story at all, the, the two sons represent two types of Christians and the father represents God the father. I hope you're aware of that. Here is what concerns me about this passage already is that God basically answered the wrong prayer of the youngest son. What if some of your biggest problems are answered prayers? Where God is going, you asked for it. You keep asking for it. Okay. You know, some of the prayers you pray that God answers are God's will for your life. And some of the prayers you keep asking God, God answers not to bless you, but to teach you a lesson. Oh, this is good stuff right here. Oh, I'm preaching. I'm about to jump through that camera lens and lay hands on somebody and pray for you. Because won't this preach to somebody right now? What if the problem you're experiencing right now is God did answer your prayer, but you were praying the wrong prayer and you were so convinced that you know what you need from God that God said, okay, I'm going to give it to you. That's what happened to the youngest son. What if some of our biggest problems in life are actually answered prayers? Not prayers that are meant to bless us, but prayers that are meant to teach us. Some answered prayers are not meant to bless you. They're meant to teach you. And you prayed the prayer. Oh, I've prayed those prayers. I'm going to start saying, God, don't, don't answer my prayer if this is not your will. I want you to bless me, not teach me. We got to make sure that we're careful about what we pray. A few days later, this son secured the bag, packed all his belongings, and moved to a distant land. I like his style. Just in case daddy tried to come and get his paper back, I'm moving where he can't find me. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. Ain't that like, ain't that, I mean, the moment he didn't have not one dollar. The brother ain't had a Dogecoin, a Shibu in you. He didn't have a... (laughs) He didn't have a Bitcoin. He didn't have no cryptocurrency. And as soon as he ran out of crypto, the famine hit the land. And he was broke as a joke. Isn't this terrible? And it says it swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. There would have been no person from Israel who would ever be around a pig. A pig has been considered an unclean animal. And they wouldn't have eaten a pig or been around a pig for free. And now the only way he can provide for himself is doing what he uh, was raised not to do. I'm going to say that again. The only way he can provide for himself away from his father is doing what his father would have never wanted him to do. The younger man came so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. It's interesting that this son was with his father. And had all the resources of his father. But the resources of his father didn't come through ownership, but relationship. And I think so many times we're not careful. We're tempted with wanting things from God that don't come from relationship. 
They come from us being in control, from ownership. And he, when he moved from relationship to ownership, he now put himself in trouble and it separated his relationship with God. And many people use this phrase, running from God. And I think so many times we say, well, I'm not running from God. I go to church. I read my Bible. You know, I do these things. I do that. I'm, I'm good. I'm not running from God. But I want to give you this definition that I believe comes from this story of the prodigal son. Pursuing anything more than Jesus could be the best definition of running from God. When you're pursuing something more than your relationship with Jesus, you are running from God. There is nothing greater than God himself. So when there's anything you want in life that you want more than Jesus, that's running from God. And I'm not talking about Jesus plus something. Because some of you are like, yeah, Jesus, great, Jesus, yep. But, but, also that. And that, and that, and that. And if Jesus doesn't come with that, then I'm not sure if I want Jesus. But no, pursuing anything more than Jesus could be the best definition from running from God. So here the prodigal son is running from God, and he's out there, and he's dying. No food. The pigs are eating better than him. And it says when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home. Somebody say at home in the chat. At At home. At home, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. I think of all the people who will go to heaven and they never had a home. That's what this makes me think about is that the church, Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. And he said, my father's house should be a house of prayer. My father's home. This is my father's house. I, I, I think one of the things that people are leaving church and they're not coming back to follow, I think I fell into this trap too. I think I spent almost too much emphasis on that people would feel welcome. But this isn't people's house. This is the father's house. So Jesus said, you're treating my father's house like it's the people's house. My father's house is a house of prayer. So when we're talking about the house of God, we should probably be talking about what makes the father feel comfortable, not what makes you and I feel comfortable. What would make the father feel comfortable means we've entered into the father's house. When I go into my daddy's house, I can't stop moving around all them trinkets. I don't know what it is. But my, my parents have collected everything. I mean, I could point to you something in my dad's house, and I promise you, my daddy got that in 1982. And it's just <laughs> sitting on a dresser, and whatever it is, is, is 30, 40 years old, but that's my father's house. I don't go to my father's house and start deciding the way I want my father's house to be. I don't even, as the lead pastor of the church, have permission to say how I want my father's house to be. This is not my house. It's not your house. It's the Father's house. And I believe that if we'd spend more time introducing people to the Father's house, they would actually be able to believe and meet God in the Father's heaven. His house precedes his, his, his heaven. His house precedes his heaven. He built the house so that people would go to heaven. See, see, he left us in charge to build his house 
because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What was happening? He was going to prepare heaven so we could prepare the house as he prepares heaven. And when he returns, heaven is going to meet the house. I'm giving somebody a pro. Oh, I'm about to fall out again. Somebody come catch me. Your boy's about to fall out. He says, I will go home. I will go home. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Wait, what? So when you sin against the house, you've sinned against heaven? Oh, that puts a, that puts a little bit. We got to be careful what we say about the church. I know the church be tripping. That's one of my biggest issues, how much the church is tripping. But even if my wife was tripping, you better be careful what you say about my wife. Yeah. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus might be telling somebody, don't you be talking about my wife like that? Come on. She's tripping today. I'm not going to lie. She is tripping. Got a little legalistic. Got a little nationalistic. Got a little liberal. But that's my wife. You don't get to talk about my wife. You get what I'm saying? I will go home to my father and say, Father, I sinned against both heaven and you. This is actually really crazy because I've said some things even about church or church leaders before, and I didn't realize that you got to be careful. He's saying I'm sinning against both the house and heaven. Isn't that crazy? I sinned against the house and heaven? I would think that would be separated, but no, in this parable, it's not. And so he says this, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Somebody say, oh, I'm no longer worthy no longer worthy of being called your son you see our temptation we want to go yes he is you know if somebody tells you they're not worthy you want to send them a meme that says you are worthy you are worthy no you're not you're not worthy of it he was actually walking in revelation that he had committed a sin that destroyed his worth so he didn't say I'm not worthy, but my father is worthy, and I'm going to go back to the place where there is worthiness. Oh, this is good, man. I didn't know this was going to be this good, to be honest. I was like, I wasn't really feeling confident about it. I'm just being honest. You know what I'm saying? I was feeling a little bit insecure, texting people to pray for me, but this is actually pretty decent. This is actually actually pretty decent. I, I, I don't... Maybe you should not send someone a meme that says you are worthy. Maybe you should send them a scripture. Acts 20, verse 24, says, Paul says this, but my life is worth nothing wow. unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So the true theology is no one's worthy. Nobody's life is worthy unless they are using it to finish the work that Jesus has assigned them. It's the only way anybody's life is worth anything at all. And we feel that intrinsically. I want you to write this down. I think we can get this lesson from the prodigal son. Knowing who is worthy, God is more important than knowing you are worthy. Because when I don't feel worthy, my dad is. Gosh, man. You think that um, Shaquille O'Neal has a statue in front of the Staples Center. You think Shaquille O'Neal's kids don't just walk in front of the Staples Center? And just walk in there with all the confidence in the world. Because of who their daddy is. My daddy has a statue up. So I'm just going to walk up here and watch any game and any concert I want to see. And I promise you the Staples Center isn't going to turn them away. They can walk right in there. Shaquille O'Neal will say, I built this house. We should have that kind of confidence as Christians. 
even when I'm not feeling a certain type of way about myself, I feel that way about God. And since God is worthy and since I'm his son, I can't, my worth does not change based off who my daddy is. You could stomp on a $20 bill on the ground. You can stomp on it. You can spin on it. You can throw it in the dirt. You can bury it. It is always worth $20. It's always worth $20. That's you. Anything that happens to you, once you are your father's son or daughter, it cannot change your worth because you serve and are the son or the daughter of who is worthy. It's so good. This is so good. But um, I I feel so strongly uh, about about this. And so then he returned home to his father, the son. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. That means his father was looking for him. Mm-hmm. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I posted this on Instagram. I noticed that the father embraced him, but he did not chase him. Mm-hmm. We embrace people who run off, we don't chase people who run off. Who am I preaching to? This is so good. People leave all the time. You never reached out to me. You left. I'll reach out to you when you come back. The doesn't say the father sent out messengers to go find him. He did it. He left. The father embraced him, but he did not chase him. Embracing when they come, when they return is love. Chasing them when they go is codependent. I need them to be happy for me to be happy, so let me chase them. Y'all better stop the chase. Call off the chase. Call off the dog. Call off the cars. Call it off. Call off the chase. We don't chase people. We embrace them when they return. But if you want to leave, go. One of the biggest things you can do as an act of faith is let them go. Now, can I just pause right here and say, he left without explanation. Some of us, they try to tell us we're trifling and we're not being good friends and we don't listen. And that cre- I'm not talking about that. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about checking yourself because some of y'all, y'all, y'all ain't been a very good friend to that person. You're like, this is which word is for me. No, it's for them. They should have walked away and you're like, you the one, it's you. But I'm saying, yeah, use your discernment because this isn't a way to blame somebody else for something you did. And can I give you a clue if it might be you? If it's a pattern, if you have a lot of people Walking away from you. I'll just leave it there. Just leave it there. Give you a finger gun. I'll just give you a finger gun and move on. (laughs) Oh, that's really funny. Give him a finger gun and move on. Says, in a long way off, he saw him coming. He embraced him, even though he didn't chase him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, Speech all prepared. I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. The robe meant position. Get a ring for his finger. The finger, the ring meant authority. And sandals for the feet. And typically the servants did not have sandals. They served barefoot. So that means that he somehow in the journey lost his shoes and the father looked down and said, servants don't wear shoes, sons wear shoes. So the father was looking him up and down and noticing the things that were missing that were attached to his identity. Can you, 
The original version says the son spent all his money on prostitutes. And the father did not say, where's the money? That's what I would have said. The father was looking him up and down. Can you imagine a moment? I want you to put yourself in the son's shoes. You have asked your father for your share of the inheritance. You left with all your stuff and you came back with nothing. And your father is looking at you like this. What would you be thinking? He's going to ask about the money. He's looking for the money. I tell my dad I don't have the money. I wasted it on wild living and da 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 da. And he's like, "Oh, you don't have your robe. You don't have the thing that lets you know your position in my life. You don't have the thing that represents the authority. You don't have the thing that lets you know you're a son. Let me give you back the thing. I'm not going to give you. I'm not even going to ask you about where you've been and what you've done. I'm going to give you your identity back." Because whoever did those things, that ain't my son. So he must need his identity back. Oh, this is good. I'm about to knock that lamp over. I'm about to knock this plan over. I'm about to just, just sidekick that. I hurt my hip, by the way. Stretching out. Shoot. I'm about to kick this plan over, man. I'm about to throw this on the ground. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm a great dad, and I would have checked for the money. And I'm an amazing dad, and I would have checked for the money. Can you imagine that son being looked up and down? And then the father says, no, no, no. I was checking for the things that you've lost that are, that are attached to your identity, and I'm giving those things back. Wow. So the Bible says he put all this stuff on him. And kill the calf we have been fattening. This is my favorite line in this verse because there's something about the God we serve that lets me know that the dad was preparing for the party in case his son came home. We've been fattening the calf. You imagine a wayward son running off and you're preparing something to bless him with for when he returns. Now, you don't have a bunch of questions. You got a party. Christians are always late to the party. Can we celebrate early that they're back home? We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they actually get off the drugs. We'll see if they actually do stop drinking. No, they're back in the father's house. Smelling like liquor, but they're back. Can we celebrate early? One of the biggest principles you can have as a Christian is you can celebrate early. We're always late. We're always late. It says... And kill the calf. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. This is like so funny to me because now here's the son who never did anything wrong. And he's in the fields working his butt off while they're cooking the fatty calf. You imagine being that guy? He just hears the music. Trying to keep it peaceful, there's a struggle for me. Don't pull up at 6 a.m. to cuddle with me. God's plan. What's that music? Yes, what's... what's... Where's that music coming from? The Bible says he asked one of the servants what's going on. Why is dad playing God's plan? Why is dad playing Drake? 
where your brother's back and your father's killed the fatted calf and we're celebrating because it's safe return. The Bible says the older brother was hot. Y'all had DJ Khaled DJ at a party for this trifling person and they're playing God's plan. I'm in God's plan. I was working in the field. I never left. I never spent the money. And now y'all got DJ Khaled and he's eating the fatted calf and y'all gave him the good part. Y'all gave him the, 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 the filet mignon and I'm in here in the field working hard. What is going on? Since father noticed that the son wouldn't come in the party. Here's the crazy thing. The jacked up son left the house and the father didn't chase him. The judgmental, religious, self-righteous son wouldn't come in the house and the dad went out to him. My brain hurts. (laughs) This hurts my brain. My brain is actually in pain right now. This hurts my brain. So you embraced the son, but wouldn't chase him. But when your religious son, you, you pursued him. I got to come outside the house. He left the party and went outside and met the son where he was. Ooh. Okay, so all you people that have been living in sin your whole life, and you a Christian for 18 months, and now you want to talk about church pastors are too religious. No, the father went out to meet him too. This is, I'm, I'm going to close. This is just, no, no, no. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is crazy to me. But I get the son. Mm-hmm. You ever feel like you're doing everything to serve God and he throws a party for your ex? Yeah. Or your boss? Or the pastor that hurt you? Or the church that you left because they don't love people got bigger? Because they don't love people and they got bigger? And God seems to be throwing a party for everyone but you. You ever felt that way? God's trying to teach us a lesson that there's a difference between the servant and the son. Because watch what the older brother said. He said, the older brother was angry when going in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I slaved for you. I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. He wasn't doing it out of relationship. He was doing it out of obligation. That's religion. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You never played trick. DJ Khaled never got to say another one. (laughs) And I've served you. Yet when that son of yours, not my brother, but when that son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, I, I want you to catch something here. How did the older brother know? that he had squandered his money on prostitutes. Mm. <laughs> oh, I was supposed to do that before I turned the page. What did, what, did, what did Luke 15 say? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. Jesus was hanging out with notorious sinners. He was hanging out with pe- people who had sinned so much they had notoriety from their sin. So he's telling the prodigal son, and what we're discovering about the younger brother is whatever the younger brother was doing, everyone knew about it. The younger brother's sins had made it back to the older brother. That means someone came to the house. Hey, have you heard about your younger brother? Yeah, he's out there. He's with prostitutes. How did the older brother know? What the, he wasn't there. The younger brother was a notorious sinner. He had notoriety off of what he'd done. 
That means everybody knew what the younger brother was doing. And he goes, this son of yours came back. He's a notorious sinner. Squandered all your money on prostitutes. And you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? He was a servant. He wasn't a son. Biggest difference between a servant and a son, by the way, is perspective. Servants say they have to do it, but a son says I get to do it. They actually have the same job. They actually have the same job. And so what does the father say to the son? He says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. Here's the thing that is crazy about that is he didn't say he was gone and now he's back. He said he was dead and now he's alive. The resources of God without relationship with God bring spiritual death. And this is why, this is why it's time to come back to the father. Because what neither son understood was that the resources were not the point. I believe that this parable divides Christians into two categories. We want the resources as a sinner and we got them. We have the relationship and we don't feel like we have the resources and we're losing sight of what really matters. Do you have resources but you don't feel like you have a relationship? Or do you have a relationship and you don't feel like you have resources? Your neighbor who doesn't believe in God at all drives a nice car and your car didn't start. But you have a relationship with God. And if we're not careful, we can go, why do you keep throwing a party for him? Why do you keep throwing a party? It seems like you're throwing a party for him. He has the robe. He has the ring. He has the car. You're playing the music for him. What about me? I'm serving you. And Jesus says to you, but you've been with me. You, but you've been with me. But we've been together. We were together. Imagine you go and hang out with somebody you love, and you're like, I don't like this restaurant. And that person goes, but we were together. Mm-hmm. What if you went to church, and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I like this church. And God's like, yeah, but we were together at that church. Uh-huh. I don't know if I like that pastor. I don't know if I like my connect group leader. But what if God would say to you, but we were together at that church? What if God asked you to experience something that might not be your favorite, but he would say to you right now, but we were together? So maybe it's time to come back. Not because everything's perfect. Not because you're absolutely sure you're not going to get sick or or whatever. But babies come back to church to be with the Father. But don't come back to the church if you ain't coming back to the Father. Because church without the Father is some old run-down apartment building. You're supposed to be coming back to the Father's house. So the church you should return to is a church that's about the Father. And don't you ever let anyone feel guilty. If your church has lost sight of the Father and you need to take a break, you need to come back to the Father. But any church that's about the Father, you're not in, maybe it is time to go back to the Father's house. And for all those sons out there that God seems to be throwing parties and playing Drake for other people, I feel like God would just say, you need to come back to the Father too. You have what's most important. And I think we think that we need more than Jesus. But the Bible says this powerful verse in the book of Romans. If God did not spare his own son, 
won't he freely with him give you all things? Anything that has to do with your relationship with Jesus, anything, God will give you anything that is the actual fruit of your relationship with Jesus. He'll give you anything. He doesn't want to give you something that's outside of your relationship with Jesus. Won't he freely with him give you all things? So anything, whether you want to buy a house or whether you want to start a business, if that's the fruit of your relationship with God, God wants you to have it. If it's not the fruit of your relationship with God, then it's a resource without relationship. And all resources without relationship bring spiritual death. Because guess who's on it? Who Guess who it's on to maintain that? You. And it's exhausting. You're not God. You cannot maintain the blessings of God if you're not God himself. So God better be with you. I'm going to pray that both the older brother and the prodigal son or daughter or the older daughter if you're in that place, would come back to the Father. And so, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're awesome. We thank you that, um, Lord, people are coming back to you. And I would pray, Lord, that anyone who would come back to the Father, it's, 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 I would say, if I may be so bold, Lord, that I'm praying that anyone who genuinely came back to the Father could not come back to the Father and not come back to the Father's house. And that's not, the Father's house isn't a physical building. There are people watching online that may never step in to it, but as soon as two or more are gathered in, in his name, this is the virtual groups and the online groups and all the things we do as a church. They are, you can't come back to the Father and not be a part of the Father's house. So I'm praying that, um, Lord, people would come back. Come back to you first and foremost. And so, Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I still want to kick that, but I won't. Don't want to hurt my hip. Don't want to mess up the plant. But I love you so much. And I I believe we're going to have a powerful time as a church as we um, engage in this time of really learning what God wants from us. Love you so much. I'll see you soon.